Thank you for tuning in to Our Black Voices Matter. We can't remain silent. We must speak up. So let the conversation begin. So I appreciate you having me on, man. My name is Trey Ferguson. I'm an associate pastor. I'm a Christian minister down here in Miami, Florida. I'm also a black man, and I'm not ashamed in the slightest of either one of those identities. So when I hear about the murders of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Obviously, it's a very upsetting thing, but the harsh reality is that we become so conditioned to not only hearing about these things, but seeing them on film, um, that we become kind of desensitized. And that's a terrible place to be when uh, evil becomes the norm, when we come to expect these things. And not only that, when we are no longer shocked when justice is not carried out. Uh, but at the same token, if there's one positive takeaway in this situation and seeing how people literally around the world have been responding often in solidarity so when it comes to the the protesting and at times the rioting and and the looting and things you you're not going to find me out there rioting and looting but you're also not going to find me issuing too strong a condemnation that's not to say that i'm co-signing it it's to say that as a student of history i recognize that rioting and looting is literally the most American response that there is to perceived injustice. The United States of America was literally born at a moment in which people uh, were fed up with what they viewed as tyranny and not feeling properly represented. Where some people, matter of fact, they dressed up as another race entirely and they went and destroyed 46 tons of tea from a publicly traded company, right? Um, if you were to translate that into what, what today's money is, it's about uh, $1.6, $1.7 million worth of damage they inflicted to protest that in what we now call the Boston Tea Party, one of the uh, events that we come to celebrate as an act of patriotism. And it, it would be difficult if I were to go into a lab with a notepad and try to draw an analogy for what that might have looked like at the foundation of this country uh, in today's term. It's, it's almost an exact parallel to burning down a target, you know? Um, so with that being said, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to condemn rioting and looting if we're willing to condemn the American ethos and the American value system. And I think that that's a conversation worth having. Why is it that we can celebrate one action as heroic and patriotic, but condemn the other as savage and and a sign of anarchy i don't understand how we can exhibit that level of cognitive dissonance without talking about race it's what it boils down to for me so um i wouldn't be out here riding looter right now any more than i would be uh, tossing tea overboard at the same token, um, because this this is the culture which we've been molded in, because this is how we've grown up, this is what we glorify, um, I'm not going to issue any condemnations for people out there doing that. 
I, I, I'm not prepared to do that because I don't have a viable solution to offer. I preach the gospel. I believe that it's through Jesus Christ that things are transformed. But at the same token, the gospel requires that you acknowledge shortcomings. And I don't think a lot of the people condemning rioters and looters have properly acknowledged the the role that their society has played in creating these conditions. You know, we can't condemn somebody for, for kneeling during the national anthem to protest it and then be surprised when people out of frustration start tearing stuff up. Because, like, first of all, if you take that kneeling thing, this is the most dishonest anger I've ever heard in my life. Kneeling along with bowing is one of the two most respectful gestures known in the world. And the fact that we had to somehow act like kneeling because the national anthem was playing is all of a sudden disrespectful is dishonest. Um, people aren't ready to admit that the reason they're upset is because of what he was protesting. And, and that's where we find ourselves now. So when, um, and I know this as, as like a parent, if I do not allow my children avenues to express their discontent in a situation, eventually they will throw tantrums. It's a fact of life. So I'm not surprised when I see uh, peaceful protests co-opted by people who are not uh, expressing their anger in a way that makes people comfortable. And I'm also not going to sit here and pretend that there aren't people from other elements with other messages who co-opted this movement and decided to, to, to do things that a lot of people view as nefarious. There, there's more than one truth in this situation. I, I'm, that's not to say that there's, uh, I'm being relativist or anything of the sort. That is to say that we have to acknowledge that more than one thing can be true at the same time. And I think that's what we're seeing here. When we look at generational trauma and, and uh, post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic slave syndrome, all of those things on our mental health and well-being, um, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about issues of social justice and, and addressing racism as a Christian minister is because I recognize that the Christian faith has been misappropriated by white supremacists for centuries and that the version of Christianity Christianity that is spread and propagated is often one that is used to maintain and buttress the status quo, which is white supremacy in the Western world, at least. I happen to uh, subscribe to the school of thought that recognizes that the first Christians were Middle Eastern and African peoples. And I don't necessarily think that my beliefs are me acquiescing to, to white supremacist indoctrination, but I do recognize that that is very, very prevalent. And I think you see that in a lot of people, uh, particularly in Generation Y, Generation Z, rejecting faith systems because they recognize or associate religion with a lot of the harmful aspects that have been done. I think that that all kind of boils down to the same thing. It's in, um, there's two really common responses to, to recognizing that. Number one, you can internalize that which you have been taught. And I think you see that a lot of times when you hear, hear a voice. I'm not even going to say her name, but there's a, a black lady who a lot of people like to share clips of because she echoes a lot of conservative talking points that are uh, baked in, in white supremacy. It's like a white supremacy casserole, but it's coming from a black woman. So people feel more comfortable sharing it. And I think internalizing trauma, even though I believe that she's a grifter, I think she does it 
to secure the bag and whatever, get your money. I, I don't have to respect that. But I think there are people who aren't getting money from doing it. But a defense mechanism is I will accept this truth whole cloth without engaging with it critically. And and what you see there is black people who have adopted racist thought patterns. And then another coping mechanism is to actually reject whole cloth, all of which uh, you view as propagating that that harmful ideology. So that's why you have um, this is why Martin Luther King and a bunch of other people back then were identified as communists because the fear then is if we start reject, rejecting some American values like white supremacy and things of those natures, then you'll start rejecting all of them like capitalism and <laughs> patriotism, American exceptionalism. And I think there's an element of truth to that, because the fact of the matter is, if there were no capitalism, there wouldn't have been any chattel slavery to begin with. But at the same token, we have to be able to evaluate things critically and recognize that I don't think there's any economic system that is inherently godly or ungodly. It's how people end up using it. And what we've done here in America is, is not uh, unique in, in creating different classes to divide and everything but I think we're one of the first countries to implement this system of racism so successfully and it's such a grand, a grand scheme of success and then try to act like it's not there and, and kind of gaslight people into believing that they're making up grievances because the fact of the matter is we can't erase all of the damage that's been done through slavery and separating families and preventing people from uh, the rights that all citizens get, like having black veterans come from home from wars and not get the same GI benefits as their white counterparts, despite the fact that black people serve in the military at a higher rate than anybody else. Just about um, all of those things take a toll. So even if we do institute the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65, that's about 55 years to this current time where people have supposedly been on equal footing, but that's disregarding all of the equity that people have been amassing for the 200 years before that. It's a little insane to think that we can ignore that and pretend we live in a more just society when financial restitution has never been even attempted on a serious level here. I think it's, it's kind of insane uh, to deny that reality. Uh, to people who've done their work in this so when it comes to like solutions I know one of the popular ones is defund the police or cut law enforcement budgets and I think I think it's a more viable solution than a lot of detractors would have you admit um, because a lot of it comes down to people being turned off by the word defund or abolish or whatever you use but I don't think it takes too much imagination to envision a society in which we do not call the same people that we depend on to apprehend violent criminals. I don't, I don't think it takes a whole lot of imagination to imagine a society where those aren't the same people we trust to hand out noise violations or like it, do, it doesn't make sense that I would call a, a heavily armed force, uh, because one of my children is throwing a tantrum like I think we put too much on police who are not qualified to handle that so one of the things about defunding the police people are talking about allocating funds to more social services and everything I think that's something that makes common sense to a lot of people 
but when they hear an attack on the actual police all of a sudden they stop being able to critically engage with what you're saying because the fact of the matter is we have a society in which we have um, genuflected and glorified certain professions to the point where we can no longer have an honest dialogue about what it is we entrust them to do and if you look at the history of policing and how <laughs> it's basically setting out a government sanctioned street gang in some instances to tame um, the more undesirable and not me saying the undesirable but society at large would deem them undesirable um, trying to tame those elements with this uh, government sanctioned organization I think it's high past time that we reevaluated what that has to look like in order to create a just society because it's clear that it hasn't been working or clear to anybody who's been paying attention because there are still some people who will um, be obtuse in um, evaluating what this has to look like um but it's, it's, it's very real to anybody who's been paying attention, whether you're listening to personal stories, whether you're looking at the number that racism is an issue. So when it comes to um, whether or not I've experienced any form of racism or police, police harassment, I have been pulled over for times that um, there wasn't any real justification other than the fact like as a teenager, I was a black dude who went around the cornrows wearing a do-rag and stuff. It's None of that is a crime, but I've been pulled over on Broad Street in Richmond, Virginia in the middle of the night um, for crimes that I, I never committed. Luckily, it never turned into anything. Um, I've had threatening phone calls for having the audacity to talk to white women before. Like, all of that stuff has happened to me, but I'm not as concerned, not to downplay it, I'm not as concerned with those forms of racism as I am with systemic discrepancies um, that prevent a lot of people from pursuing the same opportunities as other people just because of the zip code they were born in, which is what a lot of this boils down to. So at the end of the day, I think that we're in a time, like if there's any benefit, if there's any upside to where we currently find ourselves today, it's that uh, people are now a little more willing and able to accept the fact that we are not doing as well as we say that we are. And when I talk about the gospel and, and tying that all into this, this is what this all comes into. We have to be willing to admit that there is a need for renewal and rebirth. Um, I don't view that as two separate things when it comes to me fighting for social justice and me spreading the gospel. I view them as one and the same because the gospel meaning that Jesus lived, that he was crucified and that he was raised from the dead means that uh, we have a model for something that that is thriving and living, uh, being killed and then resurrected in a stronger form. And I think that's what we need to deal with in America right now. America this city on the shining hill that a lot of people claim to believe it to be. If we can look at that as um, something that, that has, as we know it, served uh, its purpose in, in, this, in this time and place, and that needs to die so that it can be reborn, so that it can be the model for which people look to, the, 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 the thing that we claim to be this, this model of democracy, if we want to be that, we have to die in this moment and that's the gospel right there that I believe it is possible through Jesus Christ that that 
if we can humble ourselves enough to admit that we have not been serving the least of these correctly, like when that happens, when we have that honest conversation with ourselves, when we're able to die in our current iteration, that's when we can be raised from the dead and live into our full purpose. Um, I don't believe that America is any more special than, than, than anybody else. I don't believe that God is doing anything with America that he will not do for other people. At the same token, if we claim to believe that America is special on any level, like if American exceptionalism has any merit, that idea has any merit, if the gospel is as powerful as so many people would, would, would have you believe, and as I tend to believe, then we have to admit that sometimes the only cure is to kill it. So that it can be born again. Um, so I hope any of this makes sense. I hope I hope uh, that that in reflecting through some of this, we can move forward. That what looks like evil right now might end up working for the good of everything else when all is said and done. And um, bro, I appreciate you having me on here, and I hope we can do this again sometime.